Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Spider sense tingling. Spider sense tingling. Something's turning my spider sense off. Spider sense tingling. I feel my spider sense. Spider sense tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? That was me being git. See, I just thought my uh, phone died. Is what happened? <laughs> anyway, to listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Before we jump into the episode, we did have some Word Snappers words last week. Ah, yes. We did. We did. Word Snappers, it's been a while since we talked about it. That is a game that we play uh, on Patreon. If you are a patron, you can submit words that we have to say, five words or less. And usually they are very weird and random. In this case, the phrase that I ended up saying somehow was, imagine a two-wheeled tricycle submitted by Gemma Nicole. That one uh, caught me off guard. Good job. It like uh, uh, it happened. It came out of your mouth, and I was like, "Oh shit, here we are." <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it really worked in context. It was nice for you to be like, "That's a great example," and I was like, "No, it actually worked." Sure, <laughs> it did. I mean, at least it clicked in my head. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if it helped the argument we were making because that was a real argument. That wasn't like falsified to ramp up to say that. <laughs> that was just kind of we already were talking about it, and that was just a space yeah. to work it in. So, well, nice uh, job. Thank you. Yes. If you would like to submit words, you can just do it on our Patreon, patreon.com slash wildlingwebsnappers, any level. So even if you just submit $1 a month, uh, you can play with us. And if you're not a patron, just listen out for weird things that we might say. In the meantime, we are still in the very weird, strange, dark world of Spider-Man Unlimited. Yes. Yeah. And this is when I was kind of excited for happening because I knew that it happened, but I couldn't remember at what point in the season that we start getting some backstory on these supporting characters. Um, So I was pleased that it, it happened so early. I have some issues with this episode, I think, but the in terms of like the character that we're dealing with, I, 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 I'm excited to, to be able to kind of talk about him. Yeah, I was surprised this happened. Well, I was surprised this happened as early as it did, but it's weird to say that knowing that this is like a third of the way into the series. Well. <laughs> but that's only because we didn't get a second season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is otherwise a totally normal normal place for them to dig into some other characters. Yeah, I guess so. It is, it is funny because this is the first new episode that aired in like a year after the show got pulled. Oh, too, so. golly gee. I know, I know, I know. People had to wait a full year to learn who, like, Weird Bandage Man was, to even learn his name. Uh, Oh, my gosh, that's right. If I had to wait a whole year after, uh, I guess I wouldn't have thought about it at all, like, in real time. But if we had done this and then 
I had to wait a whole year, I would be furious. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, no, uh-huh. wait, what about the bandage guy? <laughs> I know, he was so cool. And so many questions. <laughs> he's not even from the comics, What a, which is so weird, because he seems like a weird, like, 70s comic character, like the superpower that he has, because it doesn't make any damn sense. But it's no. very cool and weird that, that he was created for the show and and is, like, here doing stuff. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I still have very many questions about... <laughs> This this character. Yeah, it doesn't really like it gives his backstory. It doesn't really answer anything. And I have to believe it never does. I think we're just we just have yeah. to buy into how weird this all is. Yeah. And that's fine, no, I, I, that's what we're doing. I think when this episode is all said and done, it is communicated clearly that we are to ask no more questions. <laughs> we got exactly the information that they want. And that is yep. it. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> the episode uh, we're talking about of Spider-Man Unlimited is season one, episode four, entitled Deadly Choices. <laughs> the synopsis for this one per IMDb is, a member of the rebellion against the high evolutionary, Git Hoskins, steals a bomb and threatens to blow up the counter, wait, he steals a bomb and threatens to blow up the counter-Earth New York. No, he, he doesn't threaten to blow up mm, counter-Earth. I mean, I he, guess, like, I guess, he almost okay. does. I mean, no, because I guess the way I read it is that, like, he's threatening to do it, but he wasn't doing it on purpose. I guess it's like the Uh, bomb threatens to blow it. I guess he kind of does by accident. I guess so. We'll get there. Okay. I think this is more accurate than you think it is. I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Okay. 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 I'm just prone to, like, not trust these IMDb descriptions. (laughs) And I, again, did not read this one before, just pasting it in. The rest of it says, The Rebellion and the Bestials are forced to team up to get it back before both humans and Bestials will die. Okay, okay, pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, so the original air date was December 23rd, 2000. Weird. Yeah, very weird. Right before Christmas, which actually kind of lines up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so kind of accidentally made it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we've 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 heard all these story credits or uh, writer credits before. So the story by was by uh, Will Muno or Minio or whatever it is, and uh, Michael Reeves. And the teleplay was by Steve Perry. We've talked about all these guys. We talked about um, uh, Michael Reeves particularly on episode forty, and Steve Perry on episode forty-two of of our show. Yes. So you can hear all about them. Yeah, so same writers right now. I'm curious how many times we're going to get, like, alternate writers on this show or if it's kind of a small group of writers that they have on here. Yeah, I wonder. Hmm. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see because at this point, there's no reason for them to treat the production of the show any differently than any other show. It's not like they were thinking, like, we got 13 episodes, so just get the same people for 13 episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. There is one, well, there's two major characters that sort of have an increased presence in this episode. Only one of them talks, though, and it is actually the more secondary of those two characters. <laughs> so funny. So yeah. the main character that is introduced in this is Git Hoskins, who's mentioned in the synopsis, and who is, like we mentioned, the bandaged character from the second episode of the series. He doesn't speak ever, so there is no voice actor attributed to him, despite the fact that they, I, they could have done, I guess, like, I don't know, I guess they couldn't have even done grunts or anything, like, he has no body. I think that's, I think that, I like that they do that, though. They don't even yeah. give him, he's a totally silent character. I think yeah. that kind of lends, uh, lends kind of a cool air to him. I didn't really think about that at first. Because we've had some voice actors where we're like, oh, I'm surprised there's a voice actor for this, because, like, all they do is 
breathe or something. But yeah, <laughs> this this character makes absolutely no noise. So no voice actor for Git Hoskins. But at the end of the third episode, which we talked about last week, uh, we were introduced to the character of Mr. Minio, uh, who, as we mentioned, is named after, of course, the story editor and co-creator of this show. The character Minio is portrayed by Gary Chalk, who is a big deal. Yeah, I recognize that name. Yeah, there haven't been a ton of like big deal voice actors on the show thus far, but this is one of them for sure. Uh, he voices Optimus Primal slash Optimus Prime in a bunch of Transformers properties, obviously Beast Wars and Beast Machines based on the fact that he voices Primal. And we actually talked about a Beast Machines episode in one of our After Dark commentaries. That is our After Dark commentary number six on our Patreon for our Spectacular and Up patrons. He also voices Optimus Prime in Transformers Armada, Energon, and Cybertron alongside Brian Drummond, who's the voice of Venom in this show. Nice. He is King Hippo, Donkey Kong, and a number of other characters, as well as the narrator for Captain N, the Game Master, which is a show we have mentioned already because Michael Donovan, who's the voice of Carnage, is a voice in that show as well. And the connections continue because he voices Dalsim in Street Fighter, the animated series, alongside, again, Michael Donovan. And, <laughs> as we mentioned in previous weeks, Minio and Perry both wrote for that show. <laughs> yeah. So wow. the web is intricate. We have to do some kind of commentary or something on it. There's yeah. No <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't even really cover all of the connections because this really is a group of folks who have worked in some capacity together over and over on a ton of different shows. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Gary Chalk probably also voiced additional characters in RoboCop uh, Alpha Commando as pretty much everybody did. Mm-hmm. Connections outside of that group though, that I think are fun for us in particular. He portrayed a character named Silver, who was a Yeti gangster in a lime green suit <laughs> in the show, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the next mutation. Okay. And he was a character named Captain Bowen in the 2017 Power Rangers movie. I assume like sea captain because they had like the the fish like the fisherman's boat. So maybe he was a captain on on like Jason's dad's ship or something like that. Or I or guess because like there wasn't like military captains there. I don't think right. I couldn't find any pictures at all of him in that movie. Weird. Uh, but I'm sure he's there. <laughs> Very weird. Okay. I don't know. But yeah, so apparently he was in that movie. But he's been in a ton of stuff. So uh, it's, you know, it would take forever to to name everything. It's like 400 some credits. So he's he's yep. a big deal and he does a good job at the yeah. things he does. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. He's a very good Optimus voice, I feel like. Yeah, I agree yeah. for sure. And yeah. does this character very well too. Such a yeah. strange character because it's basically JJ, but not JJ. <laughs> Yeah, like, we he's... want the same thing as J. Jonah Jameson, but we don't want him to be J. Jonah Jameson. Probably because we can't use J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> Didn't have the rights to him, probably. Yeah, he's like a little bit different because he doesn't yeah. seem to be have like um like he doesn't seem to be hot headed like J. J. is. He's just like kind of a slimy like gross yes. <laughs> is... journalist. He he's like J. Jonah Jameson if J. Jonah Jameson worked at TMZ instead. Oh my god, that's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Like that's the kind of newspaper editor like Mr. Minio is, as opposed to JJ, who is just sort of like the hard headed, yelly sort of journalist guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love his design too. He's like <laughs> big fat hairy man, has, has like <laughs> thick glasses. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a fat Larry King kind of. 
uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's the the only major speaking character that's highlighted in this uh, this episode. Yes, 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 yes. So why don't we jump into it? Let's do it. So this episode opens with a really interesting and like I think pretty like well done, very moody like flashback to ten years ago in mm-hmm. the basement. In all sepia tones. Yeah, it's all sepia tones. It's like all in silence with like this really kind of somber kind of creepy music. Almost sounds like kind of Final Fantasy music, actually. <laughs> I know that's just like on my brain right now, but but it does kind of feel reminiscent of that where it's just very very. It's all very moody. Yeah, uh, is the best way I can put it. Yeah. But uh, we see, like, three kids, uh, and it's snowing, too, so, like, right off the bat, like, it's the first shot of, like, a close-up on snow on the city, so Mm -hmm. can I tell it's going to be kind of, like, a pretty artful little flashback here. So, while three kids are playing with toys in the street, there's this fourth kid um, who has very, very distinct kind of anime hair. Anime hair! (laughs) It's very tall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very tall. Well, they got to compete with Pokemon and all those other shows. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> that's that's what the kids love about anime is just the hair. Duh, <laughs> have you seen Yu-Gi-Oh? <laughs> <laughs> right. So this kid places a uh, he places a star on top of a Christmas tree, um, which is also in the street because they're all poor living in the slums. Mm-hmm. The star like falls off, and I guess it was made out out of like paper or something very thin because it actually blows away in the wind. So this kid is, like, chasing after the star, and that's when he very creepily encounters Sir Ram. He's in the street, kind of towering over him creepily. The kid is, like, a very sweet kid, and he offers Sir Ram a piece of candy, and Sir Ram's like, thanks, now I'm going to kidnap you. (laughs) Sir Ram fucking sucks. (laughs) He does suck. It's so good, though, because it is is really, it's such a, for a kid's show, Mm -hmm. it's, like, a very, like, adult fear thing. Like, it's presented in a very standard, just, like, child kidnapping thing yeah. <laughs> like stranger danger <laughs> yeah situation it's uh it's very creepy and 1999 is definitely not outside the realm of that being like a very prominent television lesson it's like stranger danger <laughs> oh very true very true yeah anyway in the present day we see that lady vermin is reporting to lord tiger that something called the mutagen z99 was stolen from their laboratories and that the primary suspect is somebody named Git Hoskins. She hands Lord Tiger what appears to be a cloth bandage. Huh. Lord Tiger's response, I think is actually really interesting. He says, I fear one day our master's sins will undo us all. And we've seen that Lord Tiger is sort of like the good guy of the Wondagore, mm-hmm. ni- or the the Knights of Wondagore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's not really surprising, but it, it's it's interesting to see this sort of side of him. It's interesting to see that he says this in the presence of Lady Vermin, who seems like pretty like okay with being not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like her. I don't think she's necessarily like evil, but I think she is fine being antagonistic and embracing that sort of vibe a bit more. I I wouldn't call her like honorable. (laughs) Right. And I, well, I think what's interesting though, is that it's, I think it works as an, cause I think we can tell, cause we, we can tell him as a character that like, he actually is, Viewing Sir Ram as like what he did, like something he did wrong. Mm-hmm. You could also view it as a neutral statement, and I feel like she probably is just like, well, yeah, he did fuck up by letting this by like make, giving this kid superpowers and then letting him go. Uh, yeah. like, spoiler alert for later in the episode. That's what we learned. So like, mm-hmm. not that I mean, you could probably tell that's what happened, but like I 
I can see why she wouldn't just be like, hmm, you could be a turncoat, noble tiger. Like, it kind of makes sense. I don't think she would even view it that way. That's what's so interesting to me about the knights is that, like, they're four person. Well, we don't really know anything about Ursa, but uh, the three that we do know, their personalities are all so different as far as, like, what their, quote, alignment is. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's so natural and out there that I don't even know... Like, even if he did sort of outwardly oppose Sir Ram, I don't know if she would necessarily be like, gasp. You know what I mean? I think she would just be like, oh, you. (laughs) That's true. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Probably make fun of him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because he's not part of the search party throughout this episode. Like, not to jump Mm -hmm. ahead too far, but he kind of disappears after the beginning. And I think that that's really interesting because they don't don't explain it. So, like, I wish that they could have had some kind of explanation because it doesn't make sense. But... I'm sure you can buy that he's on another mission or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't make sense given the information we have. But like, if you're if you're really paying attention, like it's it, you know, he he he's concerned by the whole situation, seems really uncomfortable with it, and mm-hmm. then is not part of the group that is actively pursuing it. Well, and from a from a writer standpoint, I think it makes a lot of sense because I think that he would be a, a big challenge in writing this episode because yeah. if you have to have an uneasy alliance between bestials and humans, I think that that would be a really clear push for him to be le- to to actually be more of a mediator than Spider Man is because um, he I think that he would also kind of agree with like Spider-Man's point of view and by not having them there that just ends up kind of amping up the tension because it makes yeah. it a little easier for them to have more infighting which they have many many times in this episode post Indeed. team up so yes. yeah yeah so I, I I think it actually was a smart move to leave him out of the search and also I think they would have like the knights would have outnumbered the humans a little too much if all four of them were there anyway that's fair yeah yeah well, um, I guess purely by the nature of discussing Lord Tiger, who isn't in the rest of the episode, we kind of jumped ahead. So let's rewind like, ha, I don't know, like pfft, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even really know how far into the episode we just got. But uh, where we are at this moment is that outside that bandaged man that we saw in episode two is running from a pair of machine men. He trips on a toy, ironically, uh, left <laughs> behind by a group of children playing in the street. Curse the children playing in the street. Um, And this allows the machine men to actually confront him. Before they can fire on him, however, Sir Ram appears, identifies the bandaged man as Git Hoskins. So they actually close that circle very quickly, which I appreciate, Mm -hmm. and demands that Git return the mutagen Z99. So I like that they don't draw that out. Yeah. We learn exactly who that is. We connect the fact that Git Hoskins is this name to this character we've already seen, and it's not like a weird mystery of like, did he or did he not steal the mutagen Z99? Like, no, he did. Like, let's move on. (laughs) So cool little parallel here. Git offers Sir Ram a piece of candy, just like he did as a kid, but this one explodes into some sort of adhesive goop. so weird, but it's so cool. So weird. (laughs) On Sir Ram's hands and Git fleas the thing with the candy it'll it'll keep coming up and i guess they said it was 10 years ago right yeah if git was like around the same age as shane and and Mm -hmm. i he kind of looks like he probably was 
And yeah. we sort of guess that Shane is probably like seven or eight years old, maybe like mm-hmm. 10 at the most. Yeah. Then then Git is like between 17 and 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I think based on the fact that he's kidnapped and experimented on as a child, the fact that he ends up with a sort of like kind of horrifying condition that is a superpower, but would be horrifying nonetheless, probably is like robbed to a degree of his childhood. And I think Definitely. ends up sort of in a state of arrested development. So it's like weird, but it also kind of makes sense that he continues to embrace this sort of like candy and kid and lunchbox thing <laughs> yeah it, because it's his whole aesthetic is about is basically yeah emulating the lat like what he was as a kid the last the last time he was a kid before he got kidnapped right yeah i think exactly. it's kind of cool i think it makes sense actually and yeah i i, I like it because it's it's a it's a really dark take but mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely adds a little kind of a really interesting kind of a whimsical flair to him yeah in an otherwise yeah. very dark, dark scenario. <laughs> yeah, really sort of like like weirdly thought out character for a show that otherwise uses stuff from the comics, you know? Yeah, it feels to me like it wasn't like he's a character that grew organically out of the development of Spider-Man Unlimited. No. It feels like somebody had this idea for a character for like yeah. a long time and was just trying to find a place to use them. And they, and he pitched it here and was, they were just like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, this is a character. <laughs> yeah, this was brewing for a long time. This is a character somebody thought about in the shower and before they went to bed and just was like, and what if they did this? And like, what would their backstory be? And how would that affect? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know how much they thought about the actual superpower of it all, but I don't think that's really the focal point of this character. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And it is, it is, I mean, you know, it's something about the show that's just like, again, very weird, but like uh, kind of cool and definitely memorable. Like this is one of those things that I yeah. definitely did remember from this show yeah. was like the weird bandage guy. I didn't remember anything about him really other than that he had those weird bandage superpowers, but yeah, it's just an objectively kind of cool thing and cool character. And I have to imagine that the show is more successful. Probably if any character from any original character from the show, like got added to the comics at some point, oh, it would have yeah. been. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Like there's no doubt in my mind. I'm actually kind of surprised and I, I didn't look, but I'm kind of surprised this character didn't in some way sort of break into the comic side of things just because it is like yeah. a bizarre kind of strange character, even to be co-opted into like a different sort of origin story you know what i mean i imagine just just because this of this show is kind of like it wasn't really a failure i guess but like it's it's notoriety as being kind of a failure i think probably just like no one's gonna be thinking twice about taking any characters from it is the only reason why he didn't that and there's an additional challenge in the fact that git hoskins origin story is on counter earth and not earth prime Yeah, but literally anything like yeah. you could very easily transplant to just be like an evil scientist experimented on him and robbed yeah. him of his childhood. Like well, that's, that's why I'm surprised he wasn't just like brought in to a different origin story. You know, like make him a mutant or something. That would be the easiest way to handle it. True. Yeah. But but yeah. So the the episode opens with like this chunk of backstory and then like an immediate parallel to the present day, where obviously Sir Ram and Git continue to have this sort of uh, interaction informed by that backstory. They're still entangled, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So at the Daily Bite, Peter offers Mr. Minio a new batch of Spidey photos, but uh, he, Minio, like, he doesn't just reject them. He literally, like, clears them off the table. Like, he thro- th- wipes them onto the floor. Mm-hmm. Dramatic <laughs> desk clearing. Very 
very dramatic. Like, geez, dude. And the only reason he does it is because they're too similar to the previous photos. He's just web swinging. It's so boring. We've seen it, Parker. (laughs) (laughs) And he instead, this is where kind of the TMZ thing comes in. Mm -hmm. He instructs Peter to find something revealing or personal about Spider-Man. Something juicy, like uh, who he's seeing. He wants to see who Spider-Man's fucking, basically, is is what it is. Does he have a girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Peter, uh, you know, of course, objects because he doesn't. And and also, it would be weird. Uh, Meanwhile, Git and the Machine Men, like, actually are having uh, a little bit of a tussle right by where the Daily Bite is. So they see this kind of pass by Minio's window, and he's like, hey, Peter, why don't you get pictures of that? So that gives Peter the perfect outing to go be Spider-Man. Yes, and he does exactly that. He suits up, he catches up to the machine men just as they're about to fire on Git again, uh, and he drop kicks the machine men out of the way. Unfortunately, he realizes just before our opening theme that, uh oh, he's out of web fluid. Classic Spider Man. (laughs) It's like. It's like you've got a nanotech costume with like sonic powers and osmotic whatever gas mask stuff and go invisible and you still, still, still can't remember to refill your fucking web cartridges. (laughs) You can't hold them in your like magic nanotech suit. You can't hold extra ones. You have no extra ones. You left your house in the morning without refilling it, dude. What do you? I don't leave my house without charging my phone like i'm not gonna like <laughs> i don't you know what though i do leave my house sometimes forgetting my lunch which is arguably the most important thing that i need when i leave the house fair so uh i don't know it is it is like funny though that that this show is just as like excited it seems to use this as a device as the 90s show i don't <laughs> no. know if it's because the 90s show like made that such a thing, like capital T thing, that they were like, well, that's just part of the DNA of (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. The only other excuse that I have for it, I guess, is that now that he does have this crazy suit, we never see it, but I'm sure that there's a lot of maintenance involved in this thing. So maybe he just has a lot more weird Spidey tech stuff to worry about. Yeah, and it's, so it's a little easier to forget his his uh, his web fluid. But we never see it or we haven't seen it yet. So, like, <laughs> it just seems like his suit could just do anything at this point, And maybe he charges it at night. Maybe. That's actually that's sort of close to my biggest complaint about this, which is that his suit is kept... It's all nanotech kept inside a watch, right? Right. So the idea that he would need to ensure that his nanotech suit is stocked with more web is kind of strange in the first place because you couldn't store the web in the suit. Like, it's not part of the suit. He doesn't have web shooters on his wrists all the time in the way that, like, the 90s kind of – in the way that the 90s show kind of was. He could just wear his web shooters if he wanted to, just put on some long sleeves. This Spider-Man can't do that. So it's almost like – it almost would make more sense if he didn't ever have to refill his his web shooters or if refilling them yeah. was simply maintaining the suit. Like there's something mm. a little bit strange about the idea that he has to put cartridges. I mean, we see later how it works and it's all like weird sci-fi, but it's stupid. But it's, honestly. <laughs> it's a little Yeah, it's it's a little weird that like cartridges needed need to be involved at all. Yeah. So I think I'm more annoyed with that than the fact that he's actually, like, forgetting to refill. 
I guess the only, yeah, the explanation would be that like everything that his suit does can be produced by the nanotech and his suit itself is made up of nanotech and like then every, you know, it may, I could see like little tiny robots emitting sonic waves or like cloaking when they're all together. But I guess it would be weird for these tiny nanobots to also produce webbing that goes outside of the suit and, and, and functions outside of it. Like yeah. that's the only thing that we see that is produced like and and actually like goes outside like interacts with things outside of spider-man himself physically i guess then you know what the fix would be the fix would simply be for him to have web shooters that are separate from the suit yeah because he almost is at more of a disadvantage with the suit now because before theory like i mean i know we've in the 90s cartoons sometimes you'd see him like taking his web shooter out of the pocket and putting it on or something like that but yeah. I've, I've also seen plenty of versions where he just always has his web shooters on yeah in this one, it seems like he's at a disadvantage because he will always have to activate his suit, at least the hand or wrist part of it, in order for him to use his web shooters, which, you know, is a thing that is going to take a few seconds. Yeah, he should absolutely just have separate web shooters that he wears all the time. <laughs> that would make the most sense, I think. And yeah. would kind of explain why they feel so separate from the suit when he is wearing the suit. Right, right. Well, hey, that's been our... Uh... <laughs> Our, our let's fix the unlimited suit segment of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not even at the opening theme yet. <laughs> I know. I know, right? So the opening theme happens, everybody, and it's still good. Yeah. Hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wearing either the one, I don't know if it's right before the opening theme or right after it, but like one of the lines that Spidey has to the machine men is, nice shooting partner, not... Oh, I don't know. I bet it's the worst line. It's the absolute worst line. The it's... quips have really like taken a very hard downward turn. Yeah, <laughs> in this no, show, it's, unfortunately. that is. It's not even. So, some quips are a swing and a miss. This is not even a swing. This is. Yeah. It's. It's also feels displaced in time. Like 1999 feels beyond that. This feels yeah. more like a early to mid 90s thing. Psych. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Although, I don't know. The Clueless show was turn of the millennium, right? And I feel like they did that. But maybe was I'm it? I thought that was earlier. Was it know. earlier? I don't know. Maybe I'm misattributing that to The Clueless show, too, because The Clueless show probably had better writing than that. Yeah. In any case, terrible line. <laughs> Wish it hadn't happened. <laughs> but uh, but it happens. So, anyway. After the opening, we do see Git jump onto one of the machine men, and he blows it up by piercing it. And I guess entangling its tech in some way, shape, or form with his bandages. So this is just one instance of seeing the way that his power, like the effect that his powers have on things mm-hmm. without ever really like fully understanding it. I don't know that we need to because like you start to sort of fill in some of the blanks. You sort of like yeah. see a few examples of what it can do and then can kind of surmise like other things it probably could do as a result. So this is one thing. Yeah. The explosion doesn't actually damage Git because as we've seen before, he's some sort of like just sentient bandage creature (laughs) thing. So he doesn't blow up. He just sort of like turns into a pile of bandages and then reforms himself or something like that. I wonder I if he's know. immortal. <laughs> like he's at least like kind of invulnerable to an extent. Yeah. But I wonder if he's like immortal well, too. He ages. That we we can oh, assume duh. that he ages, yeah. if only because his bo- like his his void of a body gets larger. Which is <laughs> so weird. Uh, but but other than that, like he's for all intents and purposes immortal. I have no idea. Unless he he might be susceptible to fire. I don't know. 
I we also so. don't know, like, and we'll never know, I, I imagine. We don't yeah. know how much the bandages are a part of him and how much they are just controlled by him. Because he just, so, like, he also leaves bandages behind places. Right? So, like, is that is part he, of his body? It, he could be, like, I guess it's like a Sandman situation where he probably could add more bandages to him yeah. if he wanted to, but if he loses some, like, as long as he doesn't lose too much, he's probably fine. Yeah, I, it I could guess. be a Sandman type thing. It could be a Gambit like thing. Like, it could be any number of, like, similar situations. But ultimately, he has cool bandage powers, and he can blow stuff up with it. <laughs> exactly. That's all, that's all you need. That's yeah. All you need. So he ends up reforming, and he grabs the mutagen Z99 and does another thing with his powers that's horrifying. He stores it inside the bandages where a body should be, but oh he is God. instead just a void. So it's not even like he's just invisible and, like, I don't know, can reshape his body. Like, there is nothing physical there. Yeah, it's so yeah it's 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 strange but it's cool yeah spider-man sees him do this like sees him put the canister into his body but get fleas before spider-man can like ask any questions or do anything other than just be like that's a thing that happened this world is weird (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) and he's not wrong that is a thing that happened and the world is in fact weird (laughs) yep yep as he runs away, the uh, Knights of Wondergore, of, like we said, minus Lord Tiger, arrives. They exchange their usual unpleasantries of Spider-Man, but they aren't, like, trying to kill him like they had been before. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of, like, verbally sparring with him and a little yeah. bit annoyed by him. And uh, he and Lady Vermin especially kind of get into a Meyer spat, I guess, because he, like, he kind of insults Sir Ram. And she's like, you insult one of us, you insult all of us. Well, this is clever because his response is, how convenient. So that yeah. one's pretty good. I like that. I do like that one. That's a good one. That's. Good. I mean, all of his interactions with Lady Vermin are always really good. They actually have a really good chemistry together. That's true. Whoever writes those two together is doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. They they work great together. But Sir Ram's like, no, no, no. None of this good dialogue. I <laughs> believe that the, that the survival of the city relies on finding this Git Hoskins as soon as possible. Spidey does like he he keeps preventing they keep trying to just like fly away and somehow they can't just like fly over him he keeps jumping in front of them and then they actually stop and entertain him because <laughs> he's just like no no I uh, you need why w- what's going on why are you after him why aren't you trying to kill me I don't get it please explain and Ram is like okay I will explain it to you for some reason <laughs> uh, the canister contains a viral agent which could cause extreme mutagenic changes in living tissue. So that's not great. It's also contagious and could go airborne if it's open. Uh, really not great. Not great for, like, the time that we're doing this episode, too. So that kind of sucks. <laughs> but is this, like, okay, we I, we don't get more information in this episode. And maybe we won't get more information at all based on the way this episode ends. Unclear. But could cause extreme mutagenic changes in living tissue. Mm-hmm. To me, that sounds like this is basically, like, a mutant creator I think so, yeah. In theory, this could, and I don't know for sure, but this could just be like the equivalent of like a Terrigen mist bomb that creates oh, mutants true. instead of at, like in, instead of inhumans, which that's you true know, are the same thing. But it you know could what I mean. be, yeah. I mean, it could be. Who knows if it's not the same sort of thing that created what Git is? Like maybe he was like a prototype of like this mutagen or something. I too. think it might be because I think yeah. in one of the flashbacks, and I don't remember which one. Otherwise, I would just bring it up during that flashback. But I think during one of the flashbacks, there is a canister very similar to the one that gets stole in the scene 
oh, where Git is being experimented that. on. So I, okay. I think that whatever Sir Ram did to Git is probably something he could do using that mutagen Z99. Interesting. That, and that makes sense. Yeah. I say yeah. set it off. Let everybody have mutant powers. Uh, why not? Gets why cool. Not? <laughs> you say that, but then in the reality, it's just like makes everyone's skin like bubble up. And <laughs> it's just like a Cronenberg situation. Yeah. Everybody is eye boy or whatever that mutant is with the bajillion eyes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So they they are at least driving home kind of how severe the situation is. Theoretically, if it doesn't give everyone if it doesn't give everyone cool superpowers, it's possible that it might actually just kill everybody. Yeah. So Spidey's like, oh, shit. So since he can't chase after them because he doesn't have his webbing with him, he does at least have a spider tracer in his nanotech suit. So he fires a nano tracer at the uh, knight's mechanical steed and sets off to refill his web shooters with the intent to track down Git. I really like the fact that their disinterest in him is sort of the thing that provokes him to think about the severity of the situation. Yeah, the fact that it's like, wow, they were after me so yeah. hard for a while, and now they're not now. Like, I, there's even a line that I, you know, I forgot to mention this. I wrote it down, but like, because um, when Spider Man is questioning them, like, I thought you were gonna kick my butt like six ways to Sunday or whatever, and then Sir Ram, Sir Ram replies, "I shall indeed yeah. kick your." But I just yeah. can't right now. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Exactly, exactly. It's actually, I, I think it's sort of in the same arena as what I liked about the machine men calling Spider-Man and Goblin both mass vigilantes. It's like this subtle thing that happens that mm-hmm. actually causes like a pretty substantial shift in perspective on one of the characters. Yeah. With Goblin, it was like, goblin's indication that spider-man was in fact not a villain Mm -hmm. and in this case it's a subtle thing that it's less subtle in this one but a subtle thing that informs spidey to the severity of the situation so they they do some really cool subtle nuanced things that i really really like and 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 i think there's probably somebody informing those types of things because i don't think it's a mistake that both of those things happen in in back-to-back episodes yeah it's it's a nice bit of writing for sure Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely So at the clinic, which we haven't been to yet this episode, uh, Naoko receives an unwanted call from a shadowy figure. The caller is upset that Naoko has a stranger living with her and Shane, or just somebody in general, I guess, a man. Mm -hmm. But she insists that Peter is just a tenant in the spare room. Nothing, Nothing more than that. She also indicates that the caller is Shane's father uh, mm-hmm. when she says, you're the one who left us. But technically, that could mean other things. But I think we're pretty much to understand that because Shane is listening in, also believes it to be his father. Also, I guess, in addition to us, the audience. Mm-hmm. And he asks Naoko specifically if if uh, if he, his dad, is coming home. And she does answer him and say, I don't think so, or probably not, or whatever. So yeah. at the, she she says this thing that indicates it's Shane's father. She responds to Shane affirmatively when he believes that it is his father. For all intents and purposes, at this moment, and probably moving forward, the shadowy mm-hmm. figure is Shane's father. Yeah, There is room for it not to be the case, but I I do think it's the case. I, I think so too. And it, it's interesting because this is definitely, I, I kind of like how they play this a bit because it's, uh, and it's kind of the major wrinkle. Like, I feel like you could leave the last episode thinking like, okay, he's definitely their missing dad and Shane's father. Yeah. 
And then this one is the first major wrinkle because it's like, okay, but this this shadowy figure is like kind of aggressive and mean and creepy, but they still leave weird room that it could still be the Green Goblin because it's his he does sound I it, it sounds like it's Reno doing his, his accented <laughs> voice, but just like a deeper, like quieter yeah. version of it. Like I didn't look at the credits, but I'm pretty sure it's Reno doing the voice, which I imagine was probably intentional to also kind of throw yeah. off to make you think that maybe they are the same person. So like, it's it's likely that it could be like the goblins, like Ugh. human persona sucks, or he's like a split, split personality situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that they're two different people and there's just a complicated situation. I'm really hoping they're two different people. I mean, I'm, and so much of that is rooted in my affinity for Goblin in this series, but I really hope it's two different people because the shadowy figure is a really aggressive and threatening, but there are little bits and pieces like the fact that the voice actor could be the same. Both Goblin and the shadowy figure have red eyes. The shadowy figure is wearing a hat and a trench coat uh, and is pretty imposing, which could theoretically be hiding everything that mm-hmm. Goblin either is wearing or is unclear. So there's, yeah, there's there's plenty of stuff that, that feeds into this mystery. This, unlike what we were talking about last week, is a good example of telling us exactly what we should and shouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a mystery that is well done in the way that I am intrigued and can't wait to learn more as opposed to just being confused. <laughs> yeah, because it's very it's very clear that it's meant to be a mystery. Yes. And that you are meant to be guessing. Yeah. And you know, and, and 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 you don't need this context, but I think it it actually is kind of nice to have the added context that like Green Goblin stuff is so frequently meant to be like a who is what is this secret identity situation. Yeah. And so the fact that they're kind of playing this in, in sort of a kind of a twisted way, even though he's a hero, is kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. There's, they, they, they twist cool things in this show, in in what I think is actually a really intelligent way. Yeah, I agree. An intelligent manner that really should be appreciated, um, and and that I appreciate greatly. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So as Shane is asking Naoko about his dad. Uh, They get a knock at the door. Naoko opens the door and a seemingly ill and nearly unconscious John Jameson is there. Pretty much falls into Naoko's arms, uh, passes <laughs> Naoko- out, I guess. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you got to help me. And Naoko is just like, you're too heavy. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> falls into her arms and she's like, wait, but I can't. No. <laughs> he is like, like he is a gigantic man. Yeah. He is a gigantic meat slab of a man. Uh-huh. So it makes sense that she's just like, okay, you're actually kind of crushing and killing me right now yeah. by leaning on me. So yeah, kind of want to <laughs> let you fall on the floor right now. Uh, but luckily, by sheer coincidence, Peter arrives moments after and is able to uh, help carry John into the clinic. Although in a very weird way, because like the positioning of where Peter is and where John is, Peter theoretically should be putting his arms underneath John's armpits mm-hmm. to help lift him up. But just sort of like puts his arms on his like his hands on John's shoulders, which actually wouldn't help at all and would just sort of like further push John into Naoko, which is very funny. Like yeah. you're not helping Peter at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Elsewhere, so Git Hoskins emerges from a manhole. He uh looks at an old photo of himself as a kid. And we briefly flash back to the events of 10 years ago, where we get a very, very, very creepy flashback. But Mm -hmm. to be fair, not an unexpected one. 
He's uh, he's restrained in Sir Ram's lab, and uh, Sir Ram brandishes a large needle. And uh, back in the present day, <laughs> yeah, uh, get who uh, it's 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 rough. Um, very clearly triggered by that. Uh, but back in the present day, he breaks out as a flashback when he hears some sirens and continues to flee. Yes, yes. We definitely called this, like, immediately with Sir Ram. He's a fucking weirdo and mad scientist, total creepazoid. All it took was that three-bladed hand-held <laughs> saw thing. And I was like, uh-uh, not fucking with you at all. You're trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are gross. He's pretty sure you're going to have no redeeming qualities. Uh... <laughs> Which is upsetting because, like, I don't know. A beefy ram man should have plenty of redeeming qualities. But no, he's like a fucking weird mad scientist experiments on kids kidnapper creepazoid. I know. Unfortunately, sometimes hot people suck. Uh, (laughs) It's a tough lesson to learn. Sir Ram. Yeah. Anybody, Mm. anybody could be, anybody could be a predator, kids. (sighs) Yeah. This time it's Sir Ram. Yep, unfortunately. Anywho, back to the clinic. Peter identifies John Jameson to Naoko's surprise, kind of slips up on that one, but he covers himself by saying he read about John Jameson in the news and was like, I'm pretty sure I read something about him. Like, maybe he's a revolutionary or something? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure the newspapers are writing, John Uh Jameson, maybe a human revolutionary? Yeah, right? (laughs) Uh, Doesn't really... I guess, like, the only reason this doesn't end up being more, like, suspicious is because there's something more pressing going on. Mm -hmm. So, like, he says this, and Aoko's like, okay, sure, fine, whatever. But also, like, can you help me restrain him? Because, and here's a thing that we will not get a conclusion to on this episode, which is driving me a little bit mad. Not because I'm angry at it, but because, like, what a fucking tease. I know. I know. Especially because you know. You know Ooh. John Jameson from the comics. You know. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. So Naoko asks Peter to help restrain John because she says he has a condition, and apparently this condition can result in violent outbursts, mm. and we don't get anything else yep. about that in this episode. And yep. it's not a mistake. It's it's absolutely going to come up again. I have yeah. all the faith in the world. But oh my gosh, it's wild too because it's not even just the fact that that particular detail doesn't come up again. It's that this is purely seeding. John Jameson doesn't even come up again in this episode. Naoko doesn't even come up in this episode. And I'm not mad at it because it's it's a it's a familiar setting. It makes sense it's naoko's place she's a medical doctor naoko does come up again at the at the end of the episode but they just don't mention john jameson at all oh she's in remember she's in the last scene of the episode well Um, i guess like to an extent it doesn't really matter if he comes up again or not like everything could have gone just fine just the fact that she mentions things might not have yeah. Is really the thing that's like, oh, fuck. Exactly. No, I think it's a good, I think it's a great seating because it is Ooh. very clear that uh-huh. like we're supposed to kind of take notice of that. Uh-huh. But they don't, I mean, they don't like spell it out for you or no. anything. It's a nice it's little subtle quick. hint. You really, I think it's really just more the expectation because you're just like, oh, I guess this will come up in the episode and then it doesn't. And then you're like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. How big is that going to be? <laughs> right. Right. And it's not even a thing because they they don't like 
They don't cut back to this. There's, it's not like a reminder. They don't use it as a cliffhanger. So you kind of get through the whole episode and you could you could forget about this, but you just as easily could get to the end of the episode and be like, wait a second, wait a second. Mm-hmm. You never got back to that. And if you were watching week to week, you'd you'd be waiting a whole nother week at least to be like, hold the fuck up. I need to know what happened with John Jameson. And yeah. I actually, this would be like the perfect kind of episode to have been like involved in like forum discussions and stuff, except mm-hmm. everybody probably hated the show by then. Yeah. Yeah. But th- that yeah. would be the kind of event where it's like, yo, what are they going to do with John Jameson? Cause like y'all heard that, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would have been yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in addition to that, I think it was important to eventually address the whole, like, Peter and John Jameson are both on counter earth right now Mm -hmm. because that was a question that we had back in the first episode, because it's sort of like, well, if Spider-Man's announcing to the world that Peter is going, is going with him with the intention of getting John Jameson, everyone's going to know that Peter Parker was on counter earth when John gets back. And I'm sure he'll hear about that. So like, it's kind of absurd that Peter would keep a secret from him, but I I kind of, it's, I don't like it, but I do kind of get it. Because if Peter is just trying to, you know, keep his secret identity just like he did on on Earth, even though I feel like it would actually be like a boon to have John on his side <laughs> personally. Yes. But um, yes, I don't know. I guess he I mean, I guess if he's also thinking about the I don't know, like if he's also thinking about the ramifications, like he wouldn't want John to like go back and tell his dad whenever they do inevitably go back to Earth. But then again, he will still have to explain why the world knew that Peter Parker was going to counter earth and then Peter Parker never encountered John. So like, it's kind of a mess that I don't think they really thought through and they just weren't ambitious enough to what to break that big Spider-Man rule of letting a secret identity be exposed to someone he's not like dating, you know? I suspect that the reasoning is outside the narrative of the story and might have something to do with the fact that if there is something going on with John Jameson that could turn him into an antagonist to Spider-Man, then the rationale will retroactively become like, or the justification, I guess, will retroactively become the fact that, well, it's good. He didn't let anyone know all along because this would be dangerous. Like, and that's unfortunately outside the universe and the story, Mm -hmm. but I bet you that's part of what was going on. Part of where they were like, we can't really let John know who he is. Yeah. Although that would raise the stakes quite a bit for whatever is going on with John. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there is weird, weird trust issue stuff going on with Spider-Man anyway. It's just, it's all, honestly, I would be fine with it all if Peter didn't make that dumbass announcement in the first episode that Peter Parker was coming yes. with him. <laughs> that yes. would solve I hate everything. That that would I hate solve the announcement. Everything. <laughs> so bad. So bad. It's like no one the would have only even thing. noticed. The only thing in that first episode that I really strongly dislike because yeah. it really just 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 makes everything like no, everything kind of it, it fucks up a lot yeah. of relationships going I, forward. I, I'm pretty sure I called it the only dumb, silly thing Peter does the entire episode. Yeah, like yeah. that. Otherwise, is good episode. I just hate that, and it's yeah. gonna it's gonna complicate things as we dig deeper into this John thing. I suppose. Yeah, I guess it's the only good side, the only um upside to this show getting canceled before he could ever make it back to Earth. Ah! <laughs> so we never have to deal with that. <laughs> True. Really dodged a bullet there, Pete. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so this is this is. So funny. 
She asks him to help restrain John. He doesn't help her. And then is like, oh, actually, uh, mm, by the way, uh, I got to go because uh, I have an interview. And then just like leaves. <laughs> <laughs> like you could have one helped her out. Two, you know, he wasn't. She he was... clearly is not paying attention to you and does not care that you are nervous right now. Like yeah. she is fully focused on her patient bro <laughs> and he's like he's clearly passed out she probably gave him a sedative like it's he's not gonna wake up and be like yeah. you're peter parker like uh-huh. you're fine dude come on asshole <laughs> take a deep breath peter <laughs> yeah well the best part too is like he's like i have an interview to get ready for and then goes upstairs it's not like he's like ready to leave for his interview he's like in the same building where she asks for help it's like no actually i'm gonna go upstairs and like i guess put a tie on like, oh my you- god okay She's also uh, going to ask you about the interview, you dummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's funny. It's In the funny. wrong way, but it's funny. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back in his bedroom upstairs from where this uh, <laughs> doctor is trying desperately to like hold down the struggling, potentially violent man, Peter suits up and replenishes his web fluid by... The web fluid is like a little silver rectangular canister, and he... Just, like, puts it on the top of his wrist, and it's his suit starts vibrating, and then it just, like, falls into his wrist. Yeah, just That's, sucks it right in. Sucks it right in. It's, uh, cool. Nanotech is cool, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's a little silly, but it's fine. Doesn't really make sense based on the side of his wrist he's putting it on, I don't think, <laughs> I, but it, I guess there are tubes that go around his wrist, so maybe it's on the perfect side. I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, the nanotech suit also like forms a skin-tight suit over his baggy ass clothes. So like it's it's you just it's yeah. suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. Wow, they were so ahead of the game. I you know, like I guess uh I guess Avengers when is when is the first time he uses that? Infinity War? Yeah, Infinity War. I guess Tony oh, Stark yeah. was just probably like a really big fan of Spider-Man Unlimited. Oh god. And was yeah, like, I'm you know sure. what I could do? I could make a suit just like that Peter Parker cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't yeah. complicate the universes at all. No, no, it's fine. It's great. Nanotech. Just say it's nanotech. Every tiny no, tiny robots. Yeah. It's fine. You do anything. Everybody loves their tiny robots. Nope. Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole and Katie. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30 where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. 
So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute, or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. So Peter then, uh, as Spider-Man, goes and meets up with the human revolutionaries, where Karen and Bromley explain that Git was actually supposed to bring the canister like right back to them, and he is not there yet. So Bromley claims that the high evolutionary was making a weapon to wipe out the humans. Weapon? Cool. Superpower creator? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess... This isn't a surprise because there's no reason to believe that the revolutionaries would have perfect information. But I guess it is a weapon, too. Yeah, I think it's a solid argument. Bromley shouldn't really fully understand that yet, but whatever. Yeah. I don't think that's actually a detail that needs to be thought about too much. It's not. It's, 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 it's ambiguous. It actually works just fine as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially given the, the, the history that they have alluded to with Bromley. So totally fine. Totally works. Yeah. Yeah. So Spider-Man actually mentions the virus that Sir Ram told him about in this interaction. And Karen is like, no, that's actually not the problem anymore. Like the virus. Yeah, that's bad. But like bigger problem. There's a fail safe on that canister that begins counting down the moment the canister leaves the lab. Apparently the fail safe (laughs) is a neutron bomb. That when it explodes has the potential to destroy everything within like a 12 and a half mile radius. Over, over reaction, like over, I, I, over planning this, like over, very disproportionate. Yeah. (laughs) Fail safe for this situation. I don't (laughs) quite get it. (laughs) Like. I actually think like a regular sized minor explosion would solve the problem and serve as a totally fine failsafe because if it were i I actually can't even think of a reason why destroying everything within a 12 and a half mile radius would be an appropriate response to this being stolen because presumably the things you would want to account for if it were stolen is destroying the virus so that nobody else can use it or understand it or recreate it or whatever, and probably killing the person who stole it, right? Yeah. So if you just have something that explodes enough to destroy the virus and the person carrying it, that should solve the problem. I, I really don't understand unless oh, so a, a neutron bomb, is that a fusion bomb? Is that what they call it? I think that's the same thing as a fusion bomb. Okay. Yeah. So unless unless destroying the virus requires <laughs> like an actual fusion reaction. What an intense virus that would be. <laughs> terrifying. That's terrifying. And like destroying everything within a 12 and a half mile radius is just like an unfortunate circumstance of the necessary explosion required <laughs> to destroy the virus. I don't know. It's really it's like. I actually think the tension of this episode would have been just fine if it was discovered that the canister was set to unleash the virus after two hours. Like, I think that actually would have been just fine. Mm. I don't think they needed any explosion at all, right? Like, I guess I still don't understand. I guess there wouldn't have been enough of an explanation for why 
the virus would go off because Sir Ram doesn't want this to be unleashed. Yeah, that I I, I like where you're going, but I don't think that that would be the solution because I think that would raise more questions because it doesn't it wouldn't make sense as a fail safe. And it right. wouldn't like there's no scenario where like you have to put mm. in a code to stop the virus from being unleashed, I guess, you know, like like it, that would that would take even more finagling where it have to be like we well, accidentally hit a button that sets it off to go out in two hours like a grenade or something. I think it would make more sense to just say that it was it is an explosion that detonates after two hours. It's just not a very big one. But since they don't know where he is, he could be in a place where it could also kill like bestials that are around or humans. Because yeah. the only reason that it that it's that it's a big that it's a big explosion is just to kind of have a reason for the bestials and humans to team up because it's it's a thing that affects both bestials and humans. So any type, it doesn't have to be a neutron bomb. It can just be a bomb, and I think that that would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you could very easily. I like where you're going with that. This idea that we don't know, or actually, it's not even a matter of we don't know where he's going to be. Just make the rendezvous point that they're supposed to meet at be a public place, which actually I think would make sense for a rendezvous point, to be quite yeah. honest. So if it's if it's in a really public place, which happens to be at the base of a building or something like that, mm-hmm. then. Yeah, that that would make perfect sense. Like, you, you guys, it's not just going to kill humans. It's going to kill a bunch of bestials, too. This has yeah. the potential to kill thousands, you know? Like, right. they could have done something like that. Yeah, just such a wild... I guess, yeah, the, the concept isn't as fundamentally flawed as I thought it was. It's just, yeah, overreaction. The neutron bomb is... It's just like, you hear that, and you're like... That's a lot. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> okay. Yeah. They they raise the stakes, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, exponentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, there's... The reason this is a problem in the first place is because they didn't learn about the failsafe until after Git left for his mission. And mm-hmm. because he was so deep cover, uh, they, <laughs> sure. they sent him out with no communication device. So they have no way... No way of telling Git that there is a bomb in the canister <laughs> that he is a neutron bomb neutron in the bomb, canister Jesus that Christ. he's running around with. I don't I don't mind that aspect because I feel like that's kind of a kind yeah, of like fine. a spy trope type or or even like military type trope kind of thing. Like, oh you're a deep cover, you can't we can't we can't uh can't relay this information. Like I think that's actually kind of cool. It really the neutron bomb aspect is the th- is just the thing that just makes it all just so silly. Yeah, yeah. The neutron bomb is really, really the... <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So Spider-Man asks the revolutionaries if they know what Grid 7 means, because that is where Sir Ram said that the knights were going to search for Git. Karen is like, well, maybe, like, we've decoded a lot of their language, but I'm going to have to consult with somebody. So she makes a call to find out. And while she's making this call, Spider-Man proposes to Bromley that finding Git in time might require them to team up with the Knights of Wondergore. And Bromley is shocked. Bromley didn't seem like the right person to ask. <laughs> I know, right? Ask, wait for wait for Karen to get off the phone. You, you, Spider-Man she's... knows this, too. Spider-Man is well aware, because this has come up, that Bromley hates the Bestials. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) It's worth it for the shocked face. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Always a good shocked face is always nice to have. Yes, yes. So later, above Grid 7, as the comic caption tells us, Spider-Man and the revolutionaries find the Knights of Wondergore. And just like Spider-Man was saying earlier... 
he proposes that they all team up. So um, they have a little bit of a tussle at first. Spider-Man's like, no, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's have a good old-fashioned team up. Sir Ram initially refuses, uh, citing the revolutionaries as the cause of the problem, which honestly, fair. <laughs> they yeah. did steal the thing. Yeah. He makes a <laughs> great point. I do not blame him for not wanting to team up with them, given that. And they admit to it freely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> it's not great, but yeah, at least they're sort of like, yeah, but oh, that's not really the bigger picture here. Um, Sir Ram still kind of fires on their flying pickup truck, and they do flee, uh, you know, because figuring that their that they're attempted a team-up just kind of failed. But the knights do follow. The two parties continue their little aerial battle for a while, and Spider-Man just gets really frustrated. This is not the first time this is going to happen in this episode. He finally gets frustrated. Uh, He jams up the Knight's blasters to get everybody to kind of shut up and listen, and he reiterates that the threat is a big deal to everybody, both sides. It's a fucking neutron bomb, (laughs) which is ridiculous, but that's the scenario that they're in. And he, like, appeals to Sir Ram's logic in kind of a silly way because he's like, you're a scientist. Like, do the math. And he's like, if we team up, we more than double our chances. No. And Sir Ram's like, hmm, scientifically, that checks out. I don't think it does. I (laughs) can't articulate why, but I really don't think it does. It's all silly because it's also, like, like, you don't have to be a scientist. Like, it's – it's they're trying to do, like – he's he's trying to get on his level by appealing to the logic of a scientist. And it's like – that's not that's not really like how you how you do it's it. It's not really scientific, and it's not even sound science, right? Especially because they right. they search together, which means their chances of finding Git are actually halved. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get from like a narrative a narrative standpoint why they're all together yeah. because that's like how you do it, but like it doesn't actually like that's the logic that Spider Man tries to bring up does not check out, and it doesn't yeah. apply to the rest of the episode either. Mm. <laughs> It's no. very silly. It's very silly. Yeah. Yes, no, it's, as a it's scientist. underthought, underwritten moment. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> so we briefly cut to a tired, maybe dejected. Sometimes it's hard to read Git's expression. Uh, yeah. So Git is fully covered in Band-Aids. Like Band-Aids, that's funny. Bandages. <laughs> <laughs> but he has like a, a set of goggles that are somewhat expressive. But it's – they they – this isn't a critique of them, I don't think. It's hard to show a bunch of emotions on his goggles, mm-hmm. just the way that they're shaded and the design of them. So, like, we see when he's sad, we see when he's angry, but, like, anything beyond, like, really pure emotions mm-hmm. uh, are hard to portray. So he could just be tired, he could be dejected, I don't really know. In any case, he stops and he decides to sit on a curb and... uh that's, I don't know, I guess just to say that, like, he's been in this place, which will, I guess, kind of come up later. I don't really know. But he stops to rest. I guess so. Yeah, this episode, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like, with this and then with, like, the amount of times that there's, like, the same standoff happening over and over again. Yep. Like, that's my biggest complaint of this episode yeah. is they repeat things. Yeah, and it kind of feels a little bit padded out. Like, I hate I hate saying padding. But I think that there's a lot of padding in no, this. No, I think like this is an actual appropriate example to use that because they specifically repeat the same beats. Yeah. Like they're not adding to the cir- like the situation. They're just repeat. Like it's 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 circular. You know, like I don't yep. think the tension rises when they repeat things in the way that it could. It's yeah. just sort of like, no, we saw them do this already. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Because you have that and then you have scenes like this that don't really like, okay, we know that he's running and hiding and and kind of sad. Like that's yeah. not adding anything. Yeah. And it's frustrating because I also, because then at the end of this episode, I feel like a lot of stuff ends up happening like way too quickly. And I feel like we could have seen more of gets flashbacks and like, yes. it's the amount of time that they spent on stuff is very off. Like, I don't know why they committed so much time to kind of padding out this chase story when like that's not the stuff that was even that interesting like you had a whole a, a whole kind of parallel episode happening at the same time that does right. not get enough time devoted to it it's very weird right cuz it's a cool story it's it's stuff i really want to know about um yeah. so i wish that they had timed things better and i'm i'm glad you brought that up i mean can we just blast like can we just glaze over this next paragraph cuz like it's literally just like yeah, we matter. see, yeah, we see that Git stops and then we see the group tracking him and they don't find him. And Lady Vermin is like, hey, guess what? Uh, he was here at one point and they're like, oh, g- but guess what? We had a second rendezvous point. So like <laughs> they just added an entire leg of the yep. chase to the show for, again, not raising stakes, literally just like. We went to rendezvous point number one, and he wasn't there. And we're going to yep. argue a second time. Yeah. And then we're going to move on to the next rendezvous point. Nothing is accomplished. It's not even a different take on the argument. It's literally the exact same. You yeah. insulted me. I'm going to put my gun at you. I yep. put my gun back. And Spider-Man's like, don't do that. And they're like, and Sir Ram's like, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't do that. Yeah. Like, that's it. Every no, single time. No, it's exactly time. the same. It's not yeah. like they explore a new character through a second argument. It's not like they reveal any dynamics. It's not like we learn more about Bromley, which yeah. was an opportunity. Yeah. That was, a, that was an opportunity. Nope. It's just Spider-Man being like, stop it. And Sir Ram's yep. like, I reluctantly yep. agree. Right. <laughs> like how, okay, we get it. Right. <laughs> that doesn't even, that wasn't interesting to begin with. And uh, keep doing it. Right. So they, they decide to move on to the next rendezvous point And we get something that's actually interesting, which is another <laughs> get flashback. Yes. Yes. So he thinks back to 10 years ago again. And in this case, they skip past like uh, like this is after he's been experimented on clearly and I guess escaped. I wish that they could have committed a, a flashback to like sewing. Like, was he released? How did he escape? Did he escape? Like, what did he do when he first found his powers? There's a big gap here because now yep. he is a fully bandaged child, just like his adult version, just as a kid and shorter. Um, still has anime hair. Still has his anime hair. Yeah. I don't know how so... that works. Question mark. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get that. Well, because I. And th- eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, where does eyes go? Because in the first episode, in the first episode, he turns into bandages completely, right? And I don't think we. S- Maybe he still has his hair on that. I'd have to look No, no, no. Look. He turns into bandages completely in the second episode and in this episode. Yeah, and then his hair disappears. It's possible that whatever happened to him is degenerative, and so. He could now at this point have no body, but could have had a body at oh, the time maybe. that this flashback happens. But we don't we don't get that. But we don't get that. It's just like it sucks because they're they'll be very explicit about him losing clothing and having to get it back up again and stuff, which is cool. I like that. Yeah. We see a little like naked bandage man running around sometimes. <laughs> but like his hair is inconsistent. I can't tell what's if it's a wig or if it's attached to his head oh, or what. It seems yeah. like it's attached to his head, but I don't really know. Well, that's right. No, he does have yeah. Oh, hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I forgot could that he be does a wig. still have hair as an adult. Yeah. Or yeah, it could it could very well be a teenager. wig, I feel like, but still don't you know, know how we, old he is. <laughs> we don't we don't get told either way what's going on. I mean, if it. it's an invisible man situation, it's probably a wig. Like I could see him wanting a wig mm-hmm. to seem more 
sort of human or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like it's one of those things that sort of like I don't want to think too much into it because I know that this is a superpower that's going to fall apart the more you think about it. Right. And like it's, but it's, but it's only like that because it's such a cool, weird superpower that like yeah. I feel like it's okay to get past that in the same way that it's sort of like how does the Venom symbiote work? Where does your clothes yes. go? Like. It's, it's a cool idea, so you have to ignore that. But, like, there's still just, like, little details that the show purposely adds that, like, just kind of makes it a little more confusing than it needs yeah. to be. No, I feel you on that. I, I actually, I, I like the way you put that. Like, this is not the thing I want to get hung up on. Yeah, yeah. It is, <laughs> I, but it I is. I think he's cool, so I don't want to get myself to a point where he's not cool anymore. <laughs> right, but it, it's just, it's a weird choice to deliberately yeah. give him eyeballs in the flashback when we, when he doesn't have them now. Like, yeah. I don't know why, because the only thing that they, the only reason they seem to be able to do it is for the one shot where he's in the darkness and his eyeballs are there looking sad in the darkness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think it's believable enough that it's a degenerative thing. Sure. I, I'm willing to buy it. I mean, I know that's headcanon, but I'm willing to, to assert that as a possibility. That's fine. I, I accept that. I like that. Um, doesn't explain like the modern day hair, but oh, I guess a wig does, which yeah. is just as believable as it being degenerative. <laughs> sure, this invisible bandage man having a degenerative mutagenic disease, like it's yeah, fine. yeah, it's fine. <laughs> oh God, does he just like stop existing at some point? <laughs> oh no. Ooh, anyway. see, I oh God, I wish we got more more of his I flashback. I really I do. <laughs> I want to see the moment when he first sees that he's a bandage person. Like, what does that look like? That's I so know. weird, and we are robbed of it. Mm-hmm. It's such a bummer. I know there's some really like really horrifying body horror stuff they could do with it. Yeah. Does he fall apart if he does have hair and eyes? Does he only have hair and eyes? Are there like certain elements of him that are disappearing, but other elements that are still present and visible? Yeah. Like how much of it is disappearing and how much of it is actually incorporeal? Like right. I don't. It's there's really cool stuff you could do with it. Yeah, like I don't need it like explained to me explicitly. I just want to see. There's just cool things that they could have done. Uh huh. Yeah. I much yeah. rather would have seen than what we end up getting in this episode. Right. Because what we get here is a is a far away from where it was before. Because he's already like I want to know. Did he escape? Did Sir Ram let him out, or what happened? He's out on the street now with his bandage powers, mm-hmm. trying to approach some kids that are playing, and they like aggressively like want to destroy him when they see him <laughs> they throw rocks at him and they chase him away yep. like how do you know he's not just a kid that just like got burned and just has some bandages on yeah maybe they met him before i don't know because we don't get enough of the flashback kids are mean yeah but they chase him away and he's he's scared and he hides from him uh he, he hides through like a boarded up door in an alley and you know, this, of course, is uh, pretty traumatic for present day Git to remember it. So he's angry about it. And I see I forgot about this. This is what you were referring yeah. to before. I mean, I do think the saying that he threatens to destroy the city is, I think, attributing a bit more forethought. Mm-hmm. But he does in this moment, as he's angry, lift up the canister and consider just throwing it on the ground to unleash the virus. Yeah. Yes. And I get that. I mean, it makes sense. It's a very much of like, wow, everything is terrible. Bestials and humans both suck like scenario. And again, I think that there's a really good episode kind of hidden in this because that's the exact theme of this episode is sort of like the differences between 
the bestials and humans in these in this warring race and you get examples of both sides being like <laughs> you get examples of both sides uh being equal to each other and that they are both shitty yep. but you also get you know them working together for a common cause and everything so, and, right. and recognizing the value of of life for both so like that's a really cool idea and core of this episode it just sucks that it was kind of like botched with the a story that's going on right it's not balanced properly yeah, very much so. But there is, I mean, this next thing that happens, I think, is is interesting in the episode that could have been situation. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I guess that scene ends with Git choosing not to unleash it. Surprise. <laughs> he hears another siren and runs away again, which, whatever. We cut to the second rendezvous point, and the reluctant allies all arrive together. And this time, Git is actually at the rendezvous point, but he's he's sort of hiding away. And he sees that the revolutionaries show up with the Knights of Wondagore, and he throws a bomb at them. And the group sort of interprets this like, oh, shoot, he probably thinks that we turned on him because he sees us all together. It makes sense. Like, they they should have thought of that. Why were you together in the first place? Defeats the purpose of teaming up. (laughs) Yes, it makes perfect sense. And it actually, I like that because what it does is while you have Git having these flashbacks and these sort of triggering memories that are reminding him of not just why the bestials are people he hates, but also humans are people he hates. Mm -hmm. You have that other story where bestials and humans are learning to work together on just this one fucking simple task. Mm -hmm. And then that is interrupted by Git. You know what I mean? Like it ends up being complicated and, and intertwined in this really sort of interesting way because they're all sort of like, yay, we did it. We got to the rendezvous point. We have not killed each other yet. But Git doesn't know that. (laughs) <laughs> oh it's such great it's a really nice like it's so yes. like so like uh so poetic a little it's yeah. so, nice like poetry and synergy happening yes. like the the core theme of this episode is so good and yeah. and yeah and these little moments like this and the way that like these two stories are kind of intertwined yes um and parallel each other there's absolutely a gem in this episode it's there yeah. <laughs> i don't know what happened because it doesn't i don't either it's yeah i, I really don't understand why this one didn't work Right, because all the pieces parts worked. All the the thematic stuff works. It's just, yeah, they, they, they focused way too much time. You know what I bet it is? I bet it was, do we have enough Spider-Man in this episode? Oh, God, yeah. And I bet you that's it. Because honestly, if they balanced it the way that I think like would have served the story, I actually don't think Spider-Man's at all necessary to this story outside of like a few little mm-hmm. moments. And I don't know that they would have been able to get away with the fourth episode of this weird experimental series already, just like not having Spider-Man really in it at all. Yeah. Uh, here's okay. And this would definitely be right. Rewriting the episode substantially. And I normally don't want to do that, but I do <laughs> think that if there was a way to have Spider-Man with Git the entire time and then just the revolutionaries and Beastials working together as actually more of the B story where we see them working together. Like if Spider-Man is chasing Git and then they end up like just together solo and then Spider-Man learns his backstory. Like I don't know how he would tell him because he can't talk, but somehow communicated his backstory to Spider-Man while this is going on. Spider-Man also hasn't been in this world a lot. So like he could also misinterpret the revolutionaries and the, and the Knights of Wonder Gore being together as being like, what the hell? Why are they working together? And then 
you know, the, the that sort of tense moment can still happen. Um, but then Spider-Man can still play mediator in the end instead of, like, constantly playing mediator over and over again. That way you get the humans and the beasts and the knights, like, kind of having to work out their own shit on their own without Spider-Man as a mediator, which would be interesting. And then you also have Spider-Man present in Git's story, so we still get plenty of Spider-Man, but we're sort of, like, seeing Git through Spider-Man's eyes and maybe learning about him through that way. I know there's a lot of tweaking you would have to do to make that work that would make this very different but i think you could still hit the same major beats and still like reach the same conclusion and have the same theme to it by just shifting spider-man into the other story i think i think you're on the right track i don't think you need to tweak it as much as maybe you think you do i think if you move something that we haven't talked about yet further up in the episode Mm -hmm. you could have gotten spider-man and get together and also had Spider-Man be the catalyst for the two groups getting together. So sure. that you don't have to rewrite why they get together. Right. And you still end up getting the sort of get Spider-Man interactions. Plus, then you might be able to work in a little bit of the sort of like distrust that Git has for sort of everybody. Mm-hmm. It's maybe an opportunity for him to trust someone by learning to trust Spider-Man. Yeah. It would be a struggle because they can't communicate to each other. So you kind of have – you might even have a little bit of that like classic Star Trek episode where it's just like the captain and an alien who speak wildly different languages and have to sort of like figure that out. Like right. I think you could do that and get everything that we already have in this episode and then some without really drastically changing a whole lot. Yeah, well, and, and Spider-Man is kind of just as much of an outsider as Git is. Like, Git yes. is is this is this like a weird like bandage creature, just like Spider-Man is from a completely different planet. And I would love to see the two bond. And I think this would have been a great episode for that to happen because that is something that I feel like I'm kind of missing in this show so far. Is that like Spider-Man, Spider-Man or Peter doesn't really have like a good like real connection with anybody. Yeah. Like. They're kind of flirting with that with Naoko, but that's sort of a weird situation with her, with him, or with her being his landlord. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, have just having even a Spider-Man, and and you know, he teamed up with the Goblin, but that was took a long time before he trusted him to to actually like forge some kind of good like relationship, like and friendship with like one of the human revolutionaries, which he might later on, like as the, as the series goes along, but like it would make so much sense for him and get to be BFFs. Honestly, like I think that that would be a really cool Mm -hmm. friendship to see. And it's such a bummer that again, we were kind of robbed of that too in this episode. Yep. No, I think that would work. I think that would work. I think all, like I said, all it would require is moving this next point further up in the episode because what happens is Git throws that bomb at the group because he's like, what the fuck? And obviously bomb explosion, that sort of stuff. But determined to get the canister from Git instead of like, instead of trying to, and I guess maybe this is a a personality trait of a character we don't know yet, Mm -hmm. but instead of anybody actually trying to explain to Git like, no, 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 like it's good. We're cool. We're cool. Everybody's cool. Ursa, who we don't really know, <laughs> charges at Git, grabs Git, and he escapes, obviously, with his powers. And that sort of just, like, further exacerbates things because she just charged at him instead of doing anything rational. Real yep. 90s Spider-Man move there, Ursa. Uh-huh. It, I, I would believe that being her character, though, the yeah. way that she is sort of, like, this barbarian character. Like, that yeah. actually makes a lot of sense. And her catchphrase, or or maybe just a not a catchphrase, it's like a thing that I seems like that I guess the bestials or at least the Knights of Wondergore say is by the double helix. Yeah, yeah, that was her response to him 
bandaging out or whatever of her grip (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just kind of funny i guess it's like it it kind of makes it it makes sense because it's almost like their religion and god is like Mm -hmm. high evolutionary because he's literally their creator supposedly so that's a it's kind of a neat little um detail yeah yeah i like little little world builder little world building stuff like that So as a result of this sort of commotion, Spider-Man's like, hey, this is my chance to get the canister back. So he he webs the canister, but he's an idiot and he holds it high in the air in a celebratory way, I guess. And God get, dummy. <laughs> I know, right? And Git grabs it right back. Then we get this moment where Git tosses basically like a bolus. It looks It's weird because it looks like it's made of webbing, but it's just like a rope bolus, I guess, at some sort of breaker box nearby. Again, this is the rendezvous point, so they, they know their surroundings, so I guess it's not that weird. But basically, Bromley's like, yo, he just triggered a destruct switch. And everyone's like, what's a destruct? Well, not everybody. Lady Vermin's like, what's that mean? And moments <laughs> later, she finds out because the destruct switch sets off an explosion in the wall, which basically like sends a bunch of, it's like a booby trap, sends a bunch yeah. of rubble out onto the vehicles. It's weird. It's another one of those instances that I, I guess this is the instance I was referring to last week where I said, like, clearly they don't have much regard for the environment around them because it's like a slum and everything's like abandoned and trash and no one really owns anything anyway. I guess this is evidence for that. But, but, but what this results in is all the vehicles of the revolutionaries and the Knights of Wondergore being covered in rubble, which preoccupies them. And they say, you know what? Spider-Man, we'll take care of this. You go get Git. If this had happened earlier in the episode, this is where you could have gotten for a substantial portion of the episode, Spider-Man and Git together, I think. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And especially, you're right, if they if they cut out so much of the obnoxious infighting stuff and move this up to much earlier in the episode, and we really wouldn't have had to change very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they could have done clever stuff with it too. Like even if they aren't like sitting down and having a chat, um, I think they could have done clever stuff because Git carries all of his valuable possessions with him. And later in the episode, Spider-Man strangely knows to appeal to Git with a photo of child Git. You know what I mean? So they could have made that make more sense, I think, yeah. if Spider-Man were finding these things along the way when Git was running away from him. He's like picking up these hints about Git's life and sort of putting certain pieces together, especially if other characters had given him like little bits and pieces already. Right. Then he could have appealed to Git on an emotional level. And by the time they all got back together, you know, Git might not have trusted everybody, but it would have trusted Spider-Man. And you could have kind of played the episode out from there because then Git has to trust Spider-Man and Spider-Man has to trust Git. Yeah. It's all sort of parallel and circular. It all would have made sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole... Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I really no. don't think you're changing all that much to just move that event up. I think the dominoes sort of fall into place. Yeah, I could definitely see. You're right. Because I could definitely, because that, that one moment at the end is so pivotal. Because really, not only the picture, but also like Spider-Man knows the capabilities of Git's powers to be able to like, stop the bomb and stuff. Like it all makes a lot more sense if Spider-Man has been learning about Git this entire time. Yeah. And I could so easily, because his, his story is pretty... Like, I'm, there are definitely could be really interesting shades to it. But ultimately, it's very straightforward. Mad scientist abducted him, turned him into a freak, and then let him loose. And that's that's sad and scary. Like, yeah. I get that. that. That's all Spider-Man would need to glean that in that it was Sir Ram. Yeah. And, like, he, I could easily see very short scenes where Spider-Man, yeah, is, like, looking at stuff at his lunchbox. And Spider-Man's the one kind of narrating, be like, 
you were abducted, weren't you? And then get, gives him a sad look. Like, it, yeah. it would be easy to put those pieces together. So, exactly. Yeah. God, how did they miss the mark so hard on this? It was, seemed like it was uh, so obvious. <laughs> Man, yeah, come bummer. on. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah I don't know whatever I mean it it like it like we've said like there's a gem in here like there is stuff to be appreciated in the concept of it just the execution of it is really poor yeah so anyway the way that the episode does in fact play out <laughs> as opposed to our version of it <laughs> they tell Spider-Man to chase after Git while they unrubble their vehicles um, he does catch up to Git on a rooftop. He trips him, grabs the canister, and restrains Git in a full-body web cocoon so that he can't bandage his way out, mm-hmm. um, which is a good guess because he really hasn't seen all that much of Git. <laughs> like, uh-huh. um, But sure, it works, whatever. The uh, the revolutionaries and the knights do arrive on that same rooftop with just over a minute left on the failsafe, like a minute and seven seconds or something. Wowie zowie. And Sir Ram <laughs> shouts, oh, no, we must put in the deactivation code before the counter hits one minute, not zero, one minute. I have no idea why. This failsafe is ridiculous. Who is so paranoid that not only, not only do you put a neutron bomb in it that will blow up 12 and a half miles of everything, but you can't even put in the code to stop the neutron bomb from blowing up, like, once it hits one full minute? Here's my question. At this point, is the answer Sir Ram sufficient? <laughs> Have I don't know if we've seen him be unhinged enough I don't think for so. it to be a sufficient answer. <laughs> I think he it, doesn't could come off... it could be. It could be if he were, if we saw more illogical, like the problem is that we are told he is logical. We are told he is a scientist. We are told that he, he might be deranged, but he follows a particular set of rules. But we haven't seen anything to this point to really like contradict what we've been told so it is hard to believe that like that's a good enough answer for this outrageous failsafe i don't think i don't think it is because he's he's just as freaked out about it as anybody else I mean, yeah he's that's there right. but he's also freaked <laughs> out it doesn't seem like he's the one that put the failsafe on and i don't think he's really unhinged i think he is just like sadistic and mean yeah. and evil and immoral like yeah I, it does not seem to me that he's like kooky and and, and absent-minded or like just over the top like scientist i think he is just like a mean evil scientist yeah. like that's he's not mad he's not a mad scientist he's just an evil scientist yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. that makes sense uh, yeah yeah we're never gonna uh, find out who actually put the failsafe on <laughs> no oh we never no. yeah we never will <laughs> no, it's not important <laughs> who knows what the inner workings of the high evolutionaries <laughs> system place whatever yes. it is is there's a lot of questions there yes yeah, so um, because of this stupid <laughs> one-minute failsafe, uh, Sir Ram, he types very quickly but is still not able to get the code in in time. So they have one minute before this neutron bomb is set off with them right at the center of it. So Spider-Man has an idea, and he goes and uh, rips open the little cocoon he had put Git in and uh, frees him and fills him in on what's going on. And he says that Git, is probably the only person that can stop the failsafe, thanks to his powers. I guess Spider-Man was saw him like use his powers on the Machine Man before. Uh, Maybe they I don't remember. Made he made that was clear there. because I actually he was there 
But I, I, I think they shot themselves in the foot a little bit because I think they wanted that moment to be a surprise for Spider-Man when the bandage person reveals themselves to be a sentient bandage. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Spider-Man got a clear look at what he did, but I think we're also supposed to understand that he would know this because he did get a clear look at, <laughs> yeah. at what he did. So, uh, it's, it's weird that he knows exactly, like, because yeah. that's that's not a thing that I would guess that he could do is have little no. bandages come out of his fingers to deactivate a neutron uh-huh. bomb. Yeah, when but this sure. is happening, I was like, uh, why? Why is Git the one? Like, I, yeah. I was not putting it together <laughs> the way that right. Spider-Man was. Yeah, they could have easily planted that before. So another 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 mark against this episode, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, he's 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 trying to convince him to save everybody. And the other way that he tries to convince them to convince Git, which again, it's kind of silly without context of Spider-Man getting to know Git. If you mentioned it before, because he like shows Git a picture of himself as a kid that that Spider-Man found, because Git's been running around with that photo and we've seen it a few times. So they planted the seed for this photo to exist, but it doesn't make sense that Spider-Man knows its significance, knows that it's a picture of Git. The only explanation that I have for the photo thing making sense and why he's trying to appeal to Git with that is that like maybe he he might not know that it's a picture of Git because all he says is like, think of the children, all the kids that are going to die yeah. and just is just like, well, Git has a picture of a kid. So obviously the kid is important to him. Yeah. Or maybe he figured it out because yeah. of the anime hair. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. But also it it would work even if he was just like, this is clearly a child who's important to Git. Right. Yeah, that's that's fair. It does work either way. It would definitely be stronger if Spider-Man got to know Git along the way and knew the significance yeah. of it and was able to use that. But whatever, we've already established that that didn't happen. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's able to use that to convince Git to uh, save everybody by using his powers. Like we said, little teensy tiny bandages that goes into the bomb through the screen and like deactivates it somehow. Sure, whatever. I'll buy it. But uh, despite Git saving everybody and everybody's really happy and Bromley's even like, you're a hero, Git. And Karen's like, not now, Bromley, for some reason. I guess he's <laughs> sad. I don't really – like that seems like the perfect time to congratulate and tell someone they're a hero. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't – I guess Karen knows more than like we do uh, maybe or more than Bromley does. I don't – I don't know. It don't doesn't know. really make a lot of sense. This whole scene could be great, but I feel like it's all paced really weird and doesn't really make sense. So no. – while this is happening, Sir Ram is kind of antagonizing the humans. Still, I mean, again, kind of fair. They did sort of create this entire problem, even if Git solved it. He is the one who stole it. So I get where he's coming from. You know, he's this. I, I do like this little bit, even though I feel like it kind of goes along. It goes a little too quickly. While Sir Ram is like kind of antagonizing everybody, Git kind of starts having the flash like flashbacks of the flashbacks that we saw, but in kind of like a PTSD trigger kind of way. That sets him off to, like, pounce on Sir Ram and start wailing on him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I do like this a a lot. I like this. I like like it a lot. I wish it was in a better scene and better context, but I think that this is really well handled, and I did not expect to see something this, like, intense to happen, because the pounding part of it does go on for a a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I I dig that. I think it makes makes sense. It fits well into this episode. It would have enhanced a better episode even further. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So Spider-Man does pull Git off of Sir Ram, and the two parties once again draw their weapons on each other, and once again, Uh, (laughs) uh, Spider-Man attempts to talk them down, but it doesn't really work this time. Git actually offers a piece of candy to each side of the conflict, 
just candy this time no explosives <laughs> just just candy um yeah. the two party it, it's enough to calm them down i guess if for no reason other than this is confusing he just gave us candy <laughs> Um, the two yeah. parties, ultimately, this is, this is the two parties disagreeing on who should take the canister, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of how this conflict should have started off in the first place. It doesn't really time, like the, the events are a little bit jumbled, but yes. that's, that's where we fall is that the two parties are like, who's going to take this canister? Spider-Man is like, well, I'm a neutral party. I'm not really on either one of your sides, which that's not true. Gutsy thing to say in front of the revolutionaries. <laughs> not true at yeah. all, Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Come yeah. no on, No one's buying dude. it. Um, and, they, and they don't really buy it, right? Like, he offers himself as a neutral party, and Sir Ram is like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I'm the only one who knows anything about this virus. I'm the only one who can destroy this virus. I really should be the one to take this. This sets off an argument specifically between Sir Ram and Spider-Man, but Git actually steps in. He takes the canister and he gives it to Sir Ram after like sort of pondering it and thinking for a moment or whatever, which is actually it's like a good that part is timed well. I think you kind of understand that like Git is sort of considering this and is wrestling with the idea of trusting the person who turned him into whatever he is like we don't even he, he probably doesn't even fully know and he chooses to trust him, which is which is a good way for this this whole thing to sort of end. Yeah. Spider-Man is basically like, are you sure? Git is like, yes. And then, you know, the Knights of Wondegore fly off with the canister. Yeah, it's. I think it's 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 meant to be kind of a nice, like, kind of poignant moment where it's just sort of like, despite the vast and valid disputes between the two sides, like, the person who is almost kind of hurt the most from, like, these guys still can, like, learn to trust them, potentially. And and I guess that's sort of like, yeah, there's good in everybody kind of thing, I guess, is what they're going for. Or at least that it's possible to build a bridge between the two sides, which yeah. fits into the theme of the episode. It didn't really hit for me when I was watching it, and I think because I was so frustrated with all the events leading up to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But I see what they're going for. Right, for sure. Well, the episode itself ends with a few things. It ends with Peter delivering salacious photos of Spider-Man and Lady Vermin to Mr. <laughs> Minio, which is very where did, confusing. Where did this come from? Did he just meet up with, with Lady Vermin like again? And he was just like, hey, I'm going to flirt with you. And she's like, uh, yes. And I don't know, because they're full on kissing in one of the photos. Yeah. Aren't they? Yeah. They are full on kissing in one of the photos. It's I don't. Like it's, I think it's totally outside the episode in the universe. I, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's fully meant to be like, uh, gag doesn't feel like the right word, but I can't think of a better word where it's just supposed to be like shocking and like, I guess funny. And then fulfills the request that Minio made at the beginning. Yeah. So it's like but... in universe and outside of universe at the same time. It's, it's weird to me that there wasn't like, if they, like, I would have been fine with this being a thing that happened off screen. If there was a, uh, just one little like maybe even funny moment where like towards the end of the episode like the Knights of Wonder Girl are leaving and Spider-Man's like hey Lady Vermin actually can you stick around for a second I have a question for you and then they just like cut to smash cut to this or something like that like yeah. I, there's a better way to write that dialogue right. but like I don't know it could have been something to set it up because as it stands right. it's just like wait what because there's the added thing I do like that the photos themselves are drawn in a completely different yeah. not a completely different art style but a very like different that. type of art style like it's a lot more kind of cartoony and brighter Mm -hmm. and shiny like it looks really cool and that's a neat choice but 
while that's cool in a vacuum, that in addition to the fact that we never saw these scenes happening or any setup for it, completely kind of just makes it co- like kind of dreamlike in a weird way, where it's just like, where I, where am I right now? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's very weird and surreal and and totally nonsensical uh, inside <laughs> yeah. the universe. Very weird. Right. Right. After that, we see Carnage. Uh, what's up, Carnage? Stealing the mutagen Z99 canister from Sir Ram's laboratory. It has not yet been destroyed. And great, now it's in the hands of the symbiotes. Cool. Yeah, that's kind of a downer ending to what uh, was, seems like it was supposed to be a little bit poignant. But, uh, yep. <laughs> yep. The, <laughs> yep. Yep. Not the, the, the cynical, like, not trusting people the perspective is, is right, I guess, is what they're trying I, to say. I don't know. I don't know. And then we could have been uplifted by this delightful scene of Peter eating lunch with Naoko and Shane and kind of flirting with Naoko. I don't like that at all. Peter, what I is the status of your relationship it? with Mary Jane? Because <laughs> they even call out Mary Jane earlier in the episode because he thinks he saw yeah. sees her, oh, like yeah. a counter-earth version of her on a billboard and it turns around and it's actually like some kind of bestial ver- ver- person and he's like, oh, I better, I'm going to start dating outside of my own species. I better stop. Up. And it's like, so wait, what are you are you considering dating in general? What's going on? I don't understand. Why are you flirting with everybody? Uh, yeah, he's just horny, I guess. But um, <laughs> I mean, I get it. <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, it could have ended on that weird but positive note, except that <laughs> outside of the diner where they're eating, we see the shadowy figure basically being like, oh, no, you don't, Parker. Or I don't even know if he knows his name. I don't remember, but basically just like, you better not get close to Naoko. Yeah. Episode end. <laughs> um, except he, in addition to his glowing red eyes, he punches a hole in a brick wall. Oh, at, at a snail speed. <laughs> and I know that's true. just me picking on the animation, which is not but, entirely yeah, fair, not but it, it is very slow. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Well, the face of the episode probably reflects how we feel right now. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The face of the episode obviously has to be Git. I mean, he's the focus of the episode. And it's it's probably the most expressive that he gets. It's after one of his flashbacks uh, where he – it's right before he gets angry, he gets sad first. And it's very obvious that he's sad. So it's just Git in full bandages with his goggles and his wig, question mark, uh, <laughs> with very sad goggle eyes. Yep. Very sad. Sad goggle. Sad goggle boy. <laughs> well, we we kind of <sighs> talked about it as we went many, many times. I think my overall thoughts on this episode is I'm really disappointed with yeah. this simply because I actually think they had a good episode on their hands. I think there was a diamond here that they just needed to sort of dig out and buff, and they just failed to do that. I also think that because this show comes with so much baggage and has such a reputation, I really want to drive home the fact that the thing I'm bummed about with this episode is purely the execution of it, not the concepts, not the story, not the characters. Like, I actually really like what they were adding to the world and the story and the characters that we've already gotten. It's just, they didn't pull it off well. And that's such a bummer when I've been so on board for what they've been trying to do still on board for the ideas. It's just going to be really hard if the execution falls apart in the way that it does in this fourth episode. Yeah, I agree. It's yes, it's, it's such a bummer 
and it makes it more disappointing and, and a frustrating watch when you can see all the greatness that's inside of it. And knowing that like Git as a character just in concept alone is so cool and it really yes. sucks that we were kind of really robbed of a great episode for him because mm-hmm. I really like the way his flashbacks were presented. Yeah. I think it, that was really artfully done. We just didn't see enough of them. We saw the broadest of strokes and basically skipped over anything about it that would have been really interesting. And yeah. I don't understand why that happened. This is one that I would be a little bit curious about, like, how much was this rewritten? Did you have a bigger ideas in mind that, like, the network didn't let you, like, go with or something like that? Because it's such a weirdly messy episode and yeah. and the repeated stuff that we talked about and the padding just doesn't – it doesn't make sense and it doesn't really fit into the first three episodes that we watched. Like, the one before this I wasn't super into, but I don't think it really had the extent of pacing problems that this one does, you know? Right. It's uh, – it's a weirdly messily written episode in a way that I just don't – I can't really wrap my head around why it turned out the way that it did. Well, especially because last week's episode wasn't really – like it was a little bit messy, but it was messy in a way that it was a little easier to understand because I think the pieces and parts didn't necessarily just like naturally fit together in the way yeah. that this week's episode fit together perfectly. You just yeah. needed to get them together. Like you just needed to literally put the pieces in order. Uh, in the right way like you didn't need to finesse them all that much so i that to me that's the difference between the two and and oddly one of the reasons why i think i enjoyed last week's episode more is the mess was comprised of like a bunch of fun disparate parts but really Mm -hmm. fun disparate parts and the things that didn't make sense i don't know if i was ever going to get here like you said like you can see it all it's right there. <laughs> yeah, it has a great the themes thing. in it. Like, what, the, oh, kind of a so pretty good. solid core to it. And I don't... Yeah. And they were obviously aware of it. That wasn't an accident. Like, they were writing towards one major theme and yeah. and, and even message a little bit. And, and so to, the, to miss the mark on something that obvious, I don't, I don't get it. I don't very know what strange. happened. Very strange. Very, very strange. This yeah. might be the type of episode... Like, you've, you've been sort of, like, positing that one of the reasons people might not have enjoyed the show all that much is it doesn't feel very much like a Spider-Man show. That to me is like not that big a deal because I like Spider-Man's there and I feel like it has enough Spider-Man type themes to, to keep me engaged. But I do think this is an episode that you could point to if that's your argument to say like this episode has like very little to do with Spider-Man, which is funny because I think, part of what I would do to change this is to like, (laughs) or what, or rather one of my suspicions is that this episode turned out to be less tight or less well put together because they probably felt the need to incorporate Spider-Man more or in a more pivotal way, (laughs) but they just did it in the wrong way. So I would advocate for like less Spider-Man if they were going to stay on the same track and not reorganize things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I wonder, I do wonder, like, if there are people who make the argument that the show is not a Spider-Man show, which, again, I think is ridiculous because there's literally Spider-Man in it. But whatever. (laughs) I I guess this is the type of thing someone could point to. But I really don't think that's where it fails. I don't think that's where it fails at all. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. 
Huh. Well, if you are looking for things that are typically more upbeat with maybe like one Canadian exception, uh, feel free to <laughs> to check out our Patreon where we have all kinds of extra content in addition to our main feed, such as small spider bites or commentary episodes. You can find that information at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers and try to figure out if any of those tiers are for you. In the meantime, if you would like more information from us individually, Derek, where can people find you and the things you do? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, where I look at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens and trying to kind of find intent and why people who do like it might like it. Where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y, tweeting about all kinds of stuff that I'm watching and playing. Also, if you like Pokemon things, you can find me on Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just sort of as we feel like it. Additionally, if you would like more content and stuff... From Walloping Web Snappers, generally, you can, again, check us out on Patreon. You can follow us on all the social medias at Walloping Web Pod or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. You could email us whatever you feel like. You could tell us why you think Unlimited is great or probably more likely tell us what it is you don't like about Unlimited. Honestly, I would be pretty curious to know from actual people as opposed to just like general consensus stuff as long as the the stuff you're presenting is sort of like coherent and not just like this is dumb uh, i actually would <laughs> yeah. be really curious so uh, yeah, feel free same. to do that i would i would love it also please rate this podcast review this podcast and subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts or wherever but specifically on apple podcasts because that's the biggest one and it's where people are most likely to find us if you like what we're doing someone out there probably is looking for something just like us finally Join us again next week when Spider-Man meets a cool new robot friend in the episode entitled Steel Cold Heart. See you then. Bye. So the, the the story editor uh, Peter offers uh, Doctor um, Minio a new Dr. batch. Minio. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna take that again. So By the way, Champ is like trying desperately to get into my fort right now. No, Champ! <laughs> I know. Not he just like stuck his head in. It was very cute though. I don't know. Oh, did you What's leave? Going okay, on he's in gone here? now. <laughs> so um. What the hell was that? That was Champion of Emery fighting, apparently. <laughs> that was Emery, Emery growling at him, or, like, yelling at him. Yeah. They always, they'll play together for a while, and then, and it'll be fine, and then Emery's like, okay, I'm done, but Champion's like, I'm not, and then yep. Emery gets, like, really mad at yep. him. I feel like that um, is the 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 uh, forever dynamic of, of any pair of cats. <laughs> yep, yep. He'll get real intense when they're, like, playing... 
Um, oh, he just like let out a little like sad meow. <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you. 